Welcome to another episode of Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You are listening to Civic Cypher. Yes, indeed. Um, got a lot in store for you today. Be sure to uh, stick around for it all because we are reverting to type. Got a lot of stuff to talk about um, with respect to police violence and injustice um, per usual. As I mentioned, reverting to type. Uh, we're going to share a story about a black man in uniform, an officer, a military officer who was um, engaged by the police and pepper sprayed and so forth and so on. Um, And we're going to talk you through what that experience is like for black people um, and why we fight so hard on that battlefront. Um, We're also going to... take a look at the origins of the protect and serve model that is associated with uh, police departments around the country and really find out what that means and who that means what it means to. Um, We're also going to take some time to uh, discuss the repercussions that are in place for police officers who violate, who overstep, all these sorts of things. Plenty to stick around for, but it's not all heavy stuff. We will be taking a moment to talk about the recently uh, passed Bill Russell, who of course is a uh, famous NBA athlete, but also um, a civil rights activist. And we feel like his story deserves to be told. So uh, Q is going to share more with that when we get to the way black history fact. We're also going to talk about um, for our uh, becoming a better ally segment, ways that you can support black businesses because this month is black business month. So again, a lot to stick around for. Um, and we're going to need you to help us peel back these layers, but first let's do like we always do and start off on a positive note. Shall we? That we shall. So, um, might not sound so positive, but, uh, Nichelle Nichols, uh, recently passed away. She's a beloved actor, singer, and dancer whose career spanned six decades. Uh, She passed away, um, recently at the age of 89 and she will be best remembered for her trailblazing role as Lieutenant Nyota Uhura on the original Star Trek TV series, which aired from 1966 to 69. Uh, Her performance as Uhura, uh, a communications officer, and she was the fourth highest ranking member of the USS Enterprise. And that was a landmark moment for representation in pop culture, marking one of the first times in American history that a black woman appeared on television in a leading role. I'm gonna stop right here for a second because um, and real quick, shout out to uh, Hip Hop Weekly uh, Media for um, sponsoring this segment for us today. And the story comes from Blavity. Um, prior to her being uh, on Star Trek, which I'm a big Trekkie. I think I mentioned that one time on the show before. Hate me if you will, but I love Star Trek. Always have. It's a perfect world. And that's what I imagine that we all can aspire to. But anyway, um, prior to her being um, in that position on television, Black women were oftentimes maids, secondary characters. You know, they weren't part of a primary Mm -hmm. cast on television. Um, She actually is credited uh, with William Shatner for sharing the first interracial kiss on television. So you, I I know that we're just kind of um, trying to give her her credit, but imagine what it took for her to, what she had to go through in order to accomplish these things and what she had to suffer through as a result of accomplishing them. So we wanted to take a moment to highlight the ebony excellence that is the entire story of the life of Nichelle Nichols. Um, This is a place where we get to do it. 
And I'm not just a Trekkie. I'm a fan of black girl magic. And she exemplifies that. Amen. Now, let's talk about police. Again. (laughs) I mean, it's a big, it's a big part of our lives. I know, I know it's a common motif around here, but it's, it's a big part of our lives. Um, And, you know, there's some people that think that, you know, maybe we make a mountain out of a molehill. You know, if you uh, look at the amount of black people that exist versus the amount of black people that are engaged by the police, um, you might think that we're imagining a problem and you're wrong. But if you were right, let's have a thought experiment. Okay. Now, Q, I want you to um, answer this question best you can for our listeners. What is it? feel like to see police as a black person? The setting matters, but oftentimes terrifying, Uh, especially um, if behind the wheel of a car. Moreover, on a dark highway in Mm -hmm. Mississippi, Mm. That's it. Um, But it could be just as terrifying on university right here in Arizona. Sure. Um, You have to process so many things, right? It's never benign. I'll say that it's never a benign interaction. It's not, it's never, Oh, they're the cops. Sometimes it's an exercise in, okay, how can I make this interaction um, as little between me and this officer as possible. Mm-hmm. Is there a possibility that I can avoid the interaction altogether? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if their lights just so happen to come on behind you, now there's a whole different set of things that you have to process in order to ensure that you make it home or that you survive and come out the other side of that interaction, you know, at least physically unscathed. I want to add something to that before we get into the story that sort of prompted these questions. I'm going to share something. I'm going to be very vulnerable, very honest with you. Um, I was three years old. I was with my father and we were visiting one of my father's friends. Um, This woman, her name was Melody. She had a dog. The dog's name was Josh. I remember this at three years old because of the trauma associated with this memory. Um, My father and Melody were having a conversation in the other room. And I was in the living room with Josh sitting in front of the fireplace. So as you do, I went and sat with Josh and I began to pet him. So what you do with a dog. I was not aggressive. I wasn't, you know, that's never been my nature. In petting Josh, He turned and he bit my three-year-old arm. Three-year-old's arms are very little. And then when he let go, I had this deep socket, a puncture into my arm. And I remember it was a deep, dark puncture. And then blood started to come out of my arm. And I'm three, so I get to cry. I was screaming. And my dad came and um, took care of it. I'll, I'll spare you all the details. But he took care of me and he took care of the situation. 
that very much shaped the way that I felt about dogs for the rest of my life. There's people. I, there's I wish our listeners knew you better, so they knew how deep and how real that trauma and that that experience has actually. Not it's not in a way that's um, it's not to be made light. It had a real effect. I wish people could could experience how you interact with and you know even your availability to the prospect of a dog in your space even if it's me and if you listen to this show enough you at least know how he feels about me doesn't matter q's dog is not welcome either <laughs> now um that trauma has been a huge source of embarrassment for me um once you get to be we'll call it maybe 13, 14, you have an adultish sized body and you no longer should be concerned about a chihuahua or a shih tzu or one of those tiny dogs. And my brain will not let me let that go. And I wish I could. I wish I like it, it's, you know, imagine going to a party with your friends and there's a dog there and you're like, you know, I'm just go home. And everybody's like, oh, he's scared of the dog. No, I'm not scared of the dog. I just don't want to be around it. I didn't speak English. I don't know what they're thinking. They're plotting on me. You know what I'm saying? And your brain won't let you go. It's like you're a prisoner of this, you know, and fear is different. I know fear, you know what I'm saying? But it's, if, for most people, that's the only word that they'll understand. So I'll let you have it, fear. I fought against that word for many years because I know that physically I could, I needed to. It was me. If it came down to life and death, me and a dog, I know I'd be okay. So that's not fear. It's more concern because people love their dogs and I don't. So here I am, 39 years old. I'm a grown man, real grown. When I see a dog, I know it's there. It's still with me. It doesn't go away, right? I'm well aware. And I'm not running away from a dog. I'm, you know, none, none of that sort of stuff, but I'm not comfortable if well, there's a dog there. Well, you have to understand that Josh taught you that you need what, to what, be aware. What dogs are capable of doing yeah. when you're doing nothing wrong. Okay. Thank you for that, Q. So watch this. One time when I was little, I've shared this on the show before. One time when I was little, I was in Compton, California. And I saw the police pull over a car at a, at a stoplight. The car did not proceed through the intersection. The police were right behind him. He was at a red light. We were in a car next to him. The police took the man out of his car. And they, they banged his head into the door of the car. And the door of the car dented in. He was a black man. The police wow. banged his head into the um, side of the car. And he was just screaming. And they were just hurting him. And, you know, the car we were in, the woman that was driving, she just sped off. I don't remember her name. I was very little at the time. But I remember seeing that man's head get pushed into the door of the car and the dent. And this was in the 80s. So them, there wasn't no plastic doors. It was a it was an 80s car, you know, like box Chevy type cars. So that coupled with every other traumatic event that you know to be true of the LAPD. 
very much shaped my view of police. Now, when I see police officers, it's very similar. I'm not afraid of the police. In the same way, I'm not afraid of a dog. I get it. I, you know, I've seen the rhythms and I've seen enough dogs that didn't bite me, that, didn't, that weren't concerned, to know that not all dogs are that way. But I've seen, and the, and the trauma, and I, we, one thing that we cannot divorce from our narrative is that black people are very much a traumatized people in this country, especially by the police, especially by the police, right? The time you hear black mothers wailing or whatever, it's oftentimes, nine out of 10, I guess, at the hands of the criminal justice system, doing something unfair, what, or what they believe to be unfair. I don't want to. I don't want to try to paint a picture that is not entirely accurate, but then again, that's not possible. So anyway, um, so when I see police officers, it's kind of like the same physical response to seeing a dog, like a loose dog with no chain and he's just walking down the street. And it's like, well, he's over there. Hopefully he don't come over here because if he come over here, I'm going to be afraid, Right. If we're leaning, going with that fear thing. And you know, what do you do if you're Ramses and you see a dog and that dog starts running at you? You stand there. Because if you're Ramses, let me be the one to tell you, you don't stand there. I am outro, like the end of your CD. You know what I'm saying? Um, and my only other option is to fight because in that moment, that paralytic fear that that fear that gripping fear it overwhelms reason logic whatever right so this is why i always try to leave a little bit of um we'll call it grace a little bit of space in the narrative for people that run from the police because if you are traumatized by the police there is a limbic reaction that I mean, I've experienced when it comes to, you know, something very similar. Like, I'm out. I don't want to die today. But even if you're not traumatized, mm -hmm. like, you don't have to have gotten bit by a dog to run away from a dog that's running toward thank, you. Thank like you for the, saying the that. Teeth, they have teeth <laughs> and claws. And they're barking and they have aggressive manners. And they're growling and running towards you. Mm -hmm. And I just have to let you, listener, know, I don't care what dog you have. They don't stand a chance. They're not catching me. Ever. <laughs> like, I'll run until your dog can't anymore. I know this from experience. I ran out of a town before. Was with my cousins, dogs started chasing us. We started running. I don't know how long this was after, but I was still running and neither was the dog or my cousins, just me. I didn't know. I think I ran off of an army base. Like, I didn't know where I was anymore when I stopped running. Somebody had to come find me. Your dog's not catching me, fam. All of you, right? And the same with the police. You don't have to have had the bad experience. There's someone with a gun coming after you and you're afraid, so you run. That is a very, very natural response. Thank you. It's not, it Thank doesn't you. even have to be based in trauma. And then you throw the trauma on top of it and it's like, okay, what are we talking about, people? Of course they ran. Yeah. And that's the point I'm making is that the that, that trauma trigger overwhelms reason 100% of the time. I know that from experience because it could be the tiniest, most insignificant dog, provided that dog is postured in a certain way and looking at me, if there's a growl, if there's anything, it's immediately fight or flight, right? So I want you to know this. 
because we're going to share a little bit of a story and then we're going to ask some more questions. Um, I'm going to read this. So this is a, a current news story that, you know, uh, Maggie B. Known wanted us to uh, um, discuss today. Maggie B. Known, our producer. All right. Um, another cop leaves court with no charges after assaulting a black person who happened to be an army lieutenant. Uh, this comes from the Associated Press. So I'll read. Uh, no charges for officer who pepper sprayed army lieutenant um, in Norfolk, Virginia. A former police officer in Virginia should not be criminally charged, but should be investigated for potential civil rights violations after he pepper sprayed, struck and handcuffed a black U.S. Army lieutenant during a 2020 traffic stop. A special prosecutor prosecutor has determined the prosecutor's findings are the latest fallout from a confrontation involving two involving two police officers and a uniformed military officer that drew outrage and national attention to the small town of windsor southeast of richmond the man who was pulled over caron nazario was never charged video of the december 2020 traffic stop surfaced in april 2021 after nazario sued in federal court alleging that his constitutional rights were violated you remember we talked about this story when it happened right i do and the language in the article is so interesting a police officer in virginia should not be criminally charged it's such an interesting way to word that like will not i get it that judge did not decide that this person would be charged should not is a really really colorfully um lenient yeah. way to frame that yeah. Sh like he shouldn't be and then it goes on to say that he struck and pepper sprayed the officer like wow and, and, the, and the officer was never criminally charged yeah so i'm glad you guys don't think that the officer should be charged and i don't think that's from the ap that might be from the court okay so um let's talk about this for a second uh if i remember correctly from the first time we talked about this the uh officer the military officer um caron nazario he had just purchased a new suv um and he had the paper tag in the window when you buy a new vehicle right so when you have the paper tag on a new car if it has tinted windows like most suvs do um it might be difficult to see that especially at night right um the police try to pull him over He's like in the sticks in, you know, Virginia somewhere. And he's like, nah, fam, I'm not about to get pulled over on the side of the road. Right. So he continues to drive and pulls over at a place where he feels safe. This is a gas station. Uh, Maggie, is that right? Okay, that's right. So he pulls over at a gas station because there's light there. And he feels like that gives him the best possible chance of having a, a positive outcome while interacting with the police they can see everything they don't have to be afraid of anything there's lights here you don't have to you know approach with the same sort of paranoia that you do you know that sort of stuff which i totally understand but what happens is the police feel like even though he's not speeding away i don't remember that being a part of that story the police feel like since he didn't pull over immediately that they need to uh, engage and be overly aggressive. This is something that happened to me. I got pulled over by the airport one time and uh, I, I was on the freeway and I couldn't pull all the way over <laughs> because it would have taken me to another freeway, which I wouldn't have known how to drive. So I had to wait until the, the ramp was done and then pull over. And the police were so angry 
They pulled me out of the car. They thought I was on drugs. I was like, I've never done a drug. I've never drank alcohol. They didn't believe anything I had to say. They're like, that's exactly what a meth head would say. Really? Okay. Anyway, uh, back to uh, Carol Nazario. So he's at this now illuminated um, gas station. And you know the rest of the story. He's struck, pepper sprayed, handcuffed, all these things. And then they found out, oh, he does have a license plate. Oops, our bad. Okay. Um. All right, uh, I'll, I'll finish reading this just so we can get back to it. So the images sparked outrage and served as a grim reminder to many black Americans that a military uniform doesn't necessarily protect against mistreatment by police. Um, neither does a suit, <laughs> a business suit. Neither does a tuxedo. No, none of that stuff. Right. Neither does, in some cases, a police uniform. As we saw an officer in the news recently for choking a fellow officer. A fellow officer. Yeah. Now, um, there's there's something here. Um, you know, it, it, p people that don't understand the reality of our interactions with the criminal justice system, and obviously the 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 forward-facing uh, component is the police. People that don't understand, well, why didn't he run? If he didn't have anything to hide, he wouldn't have run. You know, this sort of narrative that is very harmful because it doesn't, it assumes a lot. And as we've established in this conversation, just, you know, on this episode, that there's a lot that you, that that assumption doesn't take into account. It doesn't even take into account the traumas, the triggers, you know, um, or really, indeed, the reality of the situation. Yeah, the actual can, outcome. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know, be fortunate he didn't get shot and die. He had the opportunity to sue. Obviously, there's no justice there, but at least he brought some attention to it. And that allows us to tell these stories. This is not the only person that this sort of thing happens to. You know, once upon a time, as I mentioned, I literally saw with my own eyes, police pull a man out of his car and they handcuffed him. He was sitting on the side in the middle of the street and they took his head and they banged it into the door and it left a big dent. Now he wasn't running anywhere. He was sitting on the ground. He wasn't fighting anybody because his hands were behind his back handcuffed and they still took his head and smashed it into the car. So that sort of thing doesn't make you feel like, you know what? The police are our friends. Now I, I do want to say this because I have to police oftentimes, you know, I, I have to be fair. I, go on walks. You know, I'm trying to keep my heart healthy as I enter into this next phase of my life. And uh, I see police where I walk. It's a nice neighborhood. You know, um, there's police on patrol and I see them. And, you know, my impulse is to just keep my head down mind my business. Um, but some of these officers will go out of their way to try to be kind. And in those moments, I do see the human being and I do acknowledge that. So there is, there's room for nuance on both sides and we do need to have important conversations. But before we finish this segment, I do want to mention at least that that model that we're all used to reading on the side of police cars to protect and serve, it's just a model. In fact, I'll read from the official site for the Los Angeles Police Department. In uh, February of 1955, LAPD uh, through their internally produced Beat magazine, held a contest for a motto 
for the police academy. The conditions of the contest stated that, quote, the model should be one that in a few words would express some or all of the ideals to which the Los Angeles Police Service is dedicated. It's possible that the winning model might someday be adopted as the official model of the department. The winning entry was the model to protect and serve submitted by Officer Joseph S. Dorobeck. To protect and serve became the official motto. The reason I want to suggest that to you is because um, that is not an oath. That is not a commitment to the community. Um, it is something that you might think, you know, uh, is associated with policing. But even the idea of protecting people is not something that we get to hold police um, accountable to. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially good marketing. Thank like you. a crowdsourced focus group said, we should say this because it sounds good. Cool. Let's do that. So let's talk more about that um, when we come back, because the second part of the show deals with that precisely. And now 